What's up, Gen X? Welcome back. Do you remember Brewster's Millions? It stars Richard Pryor, who, along with being a star from back when who would have no career today, was in the movie with John Candy, and he played a career minor leaguer, kind of like in Bull Durham. But he wasn't going anywhere. He was old. He wasn't going to make the majors. And he finds out that he has this distant relative this distant uh great great grandfather or whatever and and the joke was he was this old white guy but he was his sole heir and he could inherit his fortune and he could either inherit i think it was like maybe 30 million or he could inherit 300 million and the catch was he had to spend everything within a month or something like that without anything of value at the end and anyway as part of this he launches a campaign for mayor but he didn't he couldn't win because he he had that would draw a salary and there would be some value from that investment so his strategy was to run a campaign titled none of the above and you know i think of brewster's millions often Whenever we get into election season, and now that we are at the midterms in 2022, none of the above rings in my ears quite often, particularly in the race uh, for Senate in Pennsylvania, for example, where you have one mentally challenged candidate who makes Lurch, who looks like Lurch, but he makes him seem articulate in comparison and then Dr. Freaking Oz. <laughs> that is a none-of-the-above race if I've ever seen one. But will, it'll be interesting to see where this ends up. Is it going to be the red wave like some are predicting, or even a red tsunami, or like Joe Rogan described, like the elevator scene in The Shining? I have no idea. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. But like we said before, you know, Democrats are almost always bad. Republicans are usually bad. So you have that to consider. And, and if the Republicans win, it's going to be more so a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. I think Greg Bongino, or not Greg, um, Dan Bongino was the one who said, Republicans may not be the answer to your problems, but the Democrats sure as hell are the cause. So with that in mind, it, hopefully... There will be some balance that will be achieved. It, 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 all projections have the Republicans gaining governorships. They have them gaining the majority in the Senate, possibly as many by as many as 54 seats in the Senate, and by a historic majority in the House. We'll see. Um, but they said that the election two years ago was the most secure in history. But yet, just this past week, you have a communist socialist candidate winning in Brazil with some very similar suspicions as we saw a couple years ago. And you will be loath to hear the media talk about what's going on in Brazil at all there are mass protests violent protests and if, if you thought january 6th was a violent insurrection you should see what's going on 
in Brazil. But there's no mention of a stolen election. You cannot speak of it. I don't know where this ends up in Brazil, um, but it's, it's very curious. Although it's interesting to note that if they had a an American-style um, electoral college like we do here, the incumbent would have won in a landslide. But as is there was some very peculiar results that came in that that tipped it for the crazed communist uh candidate so regardless it'll be interesting where this one ends up it, they say it's going to be secure i i'm I, there's that skeptical uh, side of me as a good Gen Xer, so I I just don't know. Um, although, because going into it, you know, the media is already warning of delayed results, which blows my mind to no end. I mean, I mean, you have de- developing countries like Bolivia that can hold an election and give you results same day, yet somehow the most free country on the world can no longer give same-day election results, it's just crazy. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this as it, when we do our follow-up. But as we've said before, election integrity and election reform is a huge issue for me going forward, and I think it is for a lot of you as well. But with that in mind, there's a lot of talk this past week as it we went into the home stretch where the insinuation is made essentially that the Democrats losing equates to a threat to democracy, which I just find very, very odd. Not the least of which being that we do not have a democracy. We have a Democrat or Republic. But the notion that in a two-party system, one party taking the majority away from another party is equal to a threat to democracy, as though the alternative would be single-party rule being the bastion of democracy. Seems very, very weird. Very oligarchian. I don't know. It's, it's just very strange. And just a lot of really weird contradictions on the, on the election front as we head into the home stretch. You know, we had President Biden on one day saying, or challenging to this notion that he has not forbid any drilling. He hasn't stopped any drilling in in the US and and that the rising gas prices and inflation have no bearing on him and are totally not his fault and then the very next day at a campaign rally saying yeah I stopped drilling I'm going to stop all drilling <sighs> where is it again where are the journalists where are the investigative journalists to sniff this one out uh, just they just let him go you also had Barack Obama out on the campaign trail saying that you know demonizing your opponent leads to violence. Of course, you know, accusing Republicans of doing that very same thing, while Biden is out there calling Republicans a threat to democracy. Um, okay, so which is it? <laughs> because if, like Obama said, demonizing your opponents leads to violence, then our current president is advocating for violence towards half of the country. 
very very strange so maybe it's going to be a red wave i don't know indications are that we could see flips in the governorships in arizona oregon michigan possibly even new york as crazy as that sounds and 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 the, and the senate and the and the house as well i don't know i it, it seems like that'll be the case maybe not quite to that extent so i don't know which might be indications of some shenanigans in itself but we'll see but my going into it my biggest takeaway thus far is that Carrie Lake in Arizona running for governor out there is becoming a superstar right in front of our eyes. I think she is tremendous. Now, up until this point, I have been very strongly leaning towards Ron DeSantis as a the next leader on a national scale. I mean, what he did in Florida during the pandemic and in the face of the criticism and just calling it out and just taking his opponent's legs out the way he did. He's just fabulous. And I think he would be a tremendous president. I'm all in. And I, you know, quite a bit down, but I still like um, in uh, South Dakota, Christy Nome. I think she's great too. And of course, Tulsi Gabbard. Carrie Lake is early on without even having the the election completed there is right neck and neck for me with Ron DeSantis. If you hear her speak, she is great. Now, she does have the advantage of her professional experience as a television journalist. So she's extremely polished, extremely well-spoken, extremely under control. But every one of those things are a huge strength. And she just cuts her critics up right to their face, but does it without seeming like a bully or screeching or anything like like that, kind of like the anti-Trump. <laughs> and really in ways, as much as I like him, like you know, DeSantis can kind of come off that way too, but she does not. It's just, it's a talent that she has. I think she is great. Hopefully she wins. Hopefully she is able to succeed well as governor. I would love to see her someday be the first female president of the United States. She is great. I, I've watched more and more of her as this campaign has gone on, and I think she's fabulous. But like I said, hopefully this will be a tourniquet to put the end to a lot of this nonsense, you know, like the, you know, from Obama weaponizing the IRS to Biden in the past couple of years weaponizing the the Justice Department and the FBI. I mean, it's it's getting to a point where it's just it's frightening. It it it's absolutely crazy where how far we've devolved when those lunatics are in charge. So we'll see. But an example of that this past week, Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips. You may or may not be aware of them, but they are the leaders of the group True to Vote, who who helped work on Dinesh D'Souza's documentary into the 2020 election with the mules that that they documented um, but this past they were held for a week this past week they were arrested um, and held in contempt of court by a judge for refusing to give up their whistleblower in that investigation that they did leading up to that uh 2000 Mules, or that, that movie that they did with Dinesh D'Souza, which 
you know, it, it's very, very confusing because one, I like we said, I thought that was the most secure election in history. I thought there was no widespread fraud. I thought there there was no throwing of, of that election. I thought it was completely safe and secure. If that's the case, why would them not divulging their whistleblower put them in prison? Never mind the fact that the First Amendment exists, but their whistleblower is is blowing the whistle on something that is false, and you're going to throw them into prison for that? Very, very odd. Very odd. But see, that's the kind of nonsense that just needs to stop. And hopefully this week it will stop. Now, another example of this madness that needs to stop. I don't know if you saw this article in The Atlantic this past week. Made a lot of ripples and just a lot of deserved roasting by the for the author, whose name is Emily Oster. Her article that she wrote was titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. She said, We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. That loud sound that you heard last week was the sound of my skull exploding when I read that. I absolutely, I was fit to be tied. The brass that Emily Oster and those like her are taking now as their narrative has almost completely come apart from the past two years to almost three years. And now she wants an amnesty. Well, let's kind of go through some of these. There's no way I'm going to be able to cover all of them. But just off the top of my head, these are some of the things that she wants amnesty for. Emily Oster, you and people like you, you shut down the economy. For a long time, you destroyed jobs. You destroyed businesses. You, dest- you destroyed careers. Causing the government to give handouts and drive up inflation because of that. You arrested moms for the sin of going to the playground with their children. You arrested them in front of their children. You arrested people out on the beach for being outside. Remember 15 days to slow the spread? Almost year three of that nonsense. You told us early on that masks didn't work. And then you mandated them and shamed people if they didn't. You stalked them in stores, screamed at them, videotaped them and posted it online and felt righteous about it because someone didn't wear a mask. And then the data came out, comes out that shows that masks did little, if any, benefit at all to stopping this virus or, or many others. You locked down schools for over a year, sometimes in two in many cases, especially in cities, destroying our kids' education. So much to an extent that this year's college freshmen and sophomores in the United States are dreadfully behind in the basic skills of reading and math. All because you shut down schools to appease unions. 
you canceled graduation, sports seasons, and hundreds and thousands of other experiences for our kids. You put sick people in nursing homes amongst the most vulnerable, leading them to die, and you lied about it. You forbid hospital visits, and loved ones had to die alone or give birth alone. You would not allow funerals, or even when you did, you wouldn't allow people to sit by each other, to console each other and to grieve together. You closed churches. And anybody that asked questions was ridiculed all along the way. You mandated an untested vaccine. First, you said there would be no vaccine mandates, and then you did it. You said there'd be no vaccine passports, and you did it. People had to have vaccine passports to go to a restaurant. You went to this song and dance of having people go into a restaurant wearing a mask only to sit down and take it off, as though that made sense. But you mandated vaccines, and then you fired people when they didn't want it. You told us it would prevent infection. You told us it would prevent spread. And then when that was not true early on, you called it breakthrough infections as though it was some fluke, as though something else must have happened, something else must have caused it. You gave it to our kids in mass in the face of mounting evidence to the contrary, and you guilted us if we refused. You said we were deniers, anti-vaxxers, anti-science. We had our head in the sand. You lied about the origins of the virus. You said it came from some wet market. And any questioning to the contrary, that it may have come from a lab, you dubbed us conspiracy theorists or even racist. As though this false notion that it came from a wet market is in itself not racist. And any disagreement along the way from all those things that I just rattled off and more would get us banned from social media and even encouraged to be banned and shunned from society. We were right. You, Emily Oster, and people like you, you were wrong. You were consistently wrong. You were egregiously wrong. You could not have been more wrong. In fact, the law of averages would have said you would have been right every now and again, but you weren't because you were scared. Because you were, as Bill Maher described people like you, emotional hemophiliacs. You gave in to your fear. You gave in to emotions. And you imposed that on everybody. No, Emily, we do not want amnesty. We want a reckoning. We want to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We want to call you out because you left carnage left and right because of things like politics. You're disgusting. We will not forget. We Gen Xers are good at calling you out on your crap. And we will do it. Now last, an update from last week. Uh, the whole saga with Paul Pelosi. That story is very, very weird. And what's most weird is from a week ago when we talked about this, 
it was hot off the presses. It had just happened and a, a week has gone by. And there's been very little to update on this. Which seems very, very weird. It's weird because it's kind of a big deal. I mean, think about it. You have the spouse of the Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency, was attacked in their home. And you have theories and explanations that range from a right-wing conspiracy to take out the third in line for the president for political reasons to, on the other extreme, this being the result of some gay orgy. Truth is probably somewhere in the middle or maybe none of that. But we don't know. And it's weird how we don't know. Because the police won't release the video. They won't release 911 calls. Nothing. Odd. Because I think we would want to know. Particularly, we would want to know if this was something where someone is being targeted because of their political position or their family is being targeted because of their political position. We got to know that and root those people out and end it. That can't happen. I don't care that it's Nancy Pelosi, who I think is a scumbag, who has used her position over decades to enrich herself and her family. I mean, we're talking about the same spouse who was arrested for drunk, drunk driving but months ago and was swept under the carpet, who have been involved in insider trading allegations over the past couple of years, and no one seems to care. She's a piece of garbage. However, she's also Speaker of the House. And as Speaker of the House, we need to make sure for the security of our nation that that position and people who hold that in the future are not targeted. This is bigger than Nancy Pelosi. But we don't know anything. Now, it's weird. It's What we do know is weird that Pelosi in his underwear in the middle of the night answers the door, apparently. Now, there was this one report done by NBC News that was like quickly retracted by NBC News for some reason, where they said that reports are that Pelosi himself answered the door. There's conflicting reports of a third person, but that he himself answered the door was not agitated or frightened or anything. And then even approached his assailant calling him by name before the assault happened. Really weird. None of that on his face makes sense. So, you know, kind of got a lot of questions here, but we are woefully short on any updates and we are even more woefully short on any critical curiosity into this matter. Where are the investigators? Where are the investigations? Where are people asking questions? Where are people demanding it? Where are the FOIA requests? Demanding the the body cam footage, demanding the footage from all the security cameras, demanding what steps were taken by Secret Service and so on. Or were not taken by Secret Service. It's just a really weird, bizarre case, and it's another example that journalism is officially dead. It's done. Because if journalists don't want to ask questions here, what do they want to ask questions about? I mean, there are some reports trickling out that there are U.S. troops on the ground in Ukraine now. 
they, they landed there the past couple of weeks. Seems like a big deal. But if you don't want to ask about the details of an attack against the spouse of the Speaker of the House, who are you going to, going to be asking about troops on the ground in Ukraine? Or the pending diesel shortage and possible rail strike after the midterms and the damage that that would do to our country and our economy as we go into winter. I mean, if, if journalists don't want to ask all these questions, where are, what questions are they going to ask about? I mean, there is some coverage of the Supreme Court case this past week challenging affirmative action. But we still don't know who the, the leaker was of the Dobbs decision, of that draft. No one's asking questions why. I mean, how many years has it been we still don't know the motive of the Las Vegas shooter? Weird. We still don't know the identity of the pipe bomber on January 6th outside the DNC. Weird. Why is no one asking questions? Is it because the Emily Osters of the world want to ridicule you and ostracize you and ban you from social media for asking questions? I don't know. But it's really weird that a week went by right when this story was hot that no one is asking the questions. It's crazy. And I don't get it. So we'll see if there are updates on it. I'm not confident that there will be. But I find it really peculiar that no one seems to care. No one seems interested. I am, but I may, maybe that's just me. So with that, have a great week. Enjoy watching the returns from the midterms, hopefully. And we'll see how it ends up. Hopefully the sun will at least shine a little bit brighter, knowing that we've put a pause on all the nonsense. And we can start the long, slow road of fixing things. Maybe. It may be maybe too far at this point, but we shall see. So, with that, I will see you next time. Or not. Whatever. Whatever.